Hello and welcome to The Social Athlete, a podcast exploring the upper limits of social fitness. I am your host, Casey Wright. Today is going to be a very fun episode. We're going to get into two subjects that I'm really interested in, uh, New Year's resolutions and then seven types of social support. But before we get into that, I wanted to address a couple housekeeping items at the top. First, I just wanted to take a moment to express my genuine gratitude for all of you who have reached out over the past couple weeks just to share your support and encouragement for what we're doing here. You know, when you start a project early on, so much of the work is up front and so much of the benefits, you know, you hope come down the line. But it really helps early on when you have people that show you that they care and show you that they believe in what you're doing. And as we'll see today, that's actually one of the seven types of social support is the motivational support that all of you are providing to me. So I just wanted to, at the outset, say thank you for that because it really does mean a lot. Second, I just wanted to make an explicit request for two things that I've kind of alluded to in the previous episodes, but I want to be very explicit about this. First, uh, if you are listening to this, wherever you're listening to this, please take some time to rate and review this. Uh, This is not just my own vanity, although I do like seeing the ratings and reviews, but this is because the more credibility that we get for this show, the more things we can do with it. So the easier it is for me to book great guests, for me to marshal more resources towards this, if we can get a little credibility for this podcast. So it's not just selfish, it's really because if we can get more attention and more credibility for this podcast, then we can start to do more interesting things. So uh, I hope that's enough of incentive for all of you to take a minute or two to rate and review. Uh, Please share your honest opinions, but also, you know, slant positive if you can. Uh, Second, I want to say that I would really like you all to subscribe to the newsletter. Um, I can just tell from the subscriber counts on the podcast and on the newsletter that most of you are not doing this. I really think that you're going to miss out on a huge part of what makes this podcast valuable if you're not getting the visual textual component that goes with this. You may have noticed by now, and I think this is going to continue to be a theme of what we do here, that we don't really take a lot of time, like most podcasts, to reinforce and go over ideas over and over again. We're moving through a lot of material very quickly. And one of the reasons I feel confident doing that is because I know I'm able to clean up a lot of what I missed here on that blog post slash newsletter that accompanies each episode. So, And there's also just a lot of visual information that's impossible to relay on a podcast that you'll get there. So I really think that if you want to get the most out of this podcast, you'll need to spend some time on that website as well. You don't have to subscribe to the newsletter if you don't want to. You can just go to the website, thesocialathlete.com, and you'll notice that there's a uh, episode post there that will have all the show notes and accompanying content. So you can just do that on a week-by-week basis if you want. Uh, But the easier way, of course, is just to subscribe to the newsletter. It'll arrive in your inbox uh, at the exact same time the episode comes out every single week. So now that we've got those two things out of the way, I want to start digging into the meat of this podcast. I want to start by talking briefly about New Year's resolutions. Now, I'm not a huge New Year's resolution guy, generally. My personal belief on goals is that they should start whenever you decide you want to start, and they should complete as quickly as you can get them done well. So that rarely for me runs on an annual calendar. But that said, I really value this period for reflection. I think it's just natural whenever the odometer ticks over to think about what's happened since the last time the odometer ticked over and what you would like to happen 
between now and the next time the odometer ticks over. So I really value this period for reflection. And as we're going into this period of goal setting and reflection, I just wanted to talk briefly and remind you what we know about social fitness. You might remember from our 17 things we know about social fitness episode that one of the themes is that we tend to overvalue our non-relational goals and undervalue our relational goals. So as you're going into this goal setting period and setting your New Year's resolutions, I want to really encourage you to make sure that you have some relational goals on your list. And to help you in that endeavor, I've put together a list of 10 examples of the types of relational goals you might set in 2024. These are all goals that I have set and completed in the past and received enormous benefit from. So I can say with a high degree of confidence that if you commit to any of these goals, you're going to get a lot out of them. And I've really tried to select ones that are very high ROI too, which is to say that you're going to get a lot more than you put into it. So let's get into these. The first one I want to talk about is just join a new social group. This can be anything from, you know, picking up a new class, joining a charity, uh, joining an intramural sports league, uh, trivia night at a local bar, any social group that is going to introduce you to a new group of people on a regular basis. This becomes a huge accelerant. The most pivotal times in my life socially, they almost always precede joining a new social group, whether it's an entrepreneur's organization or a new group of friends or going on a vacation with a bunch of people I had never met before. These tend to be the things that really launch you into a new period of your life socially is when you join a new social group. Joining a new social group really is one of those things that has cascading benefits to so many areas of your life socially. It's going to force you to develop new social skills. It's going to push you outside of your comfort zone. You're going to meet new people. You're going to have to develop new empathy skills, new listening skills. So it's one of those things that just organizes so much other social development is joining a new social group. Number two, learn a new social skill. Take something that maybe you're good at and want to get great at or something that you're bad at and want to get good at. This can be something very broad, like becoming a better listener, or it can be something very specific, like learning to speak up more effectively in business meetings. I have one that's a very specific micro goal this year, which is that I want to get excellent at giving toast. Just I think that's such a cool skill, the ability to stand up at a table, clink your glass and say a few words that really ties the whole night together and makes everyone feel connected and adds a sense of purpose to what you're doing there. That's something I'd really like to be able to do. I think it's a skill that so few people have, but whenever I see somebody just deliver an excellent toast, I think, wow, that's a really cool skill. I'd love to have that. So that's something I'm going to put a little effort in developing this year. And so that just gives you an idea. It doesn't have to be something that's big. It could be something that's small, but something that would be a fun social skill for you to develop in 2024. Next, expand your comfort zone. This can be uh, anything that is going to force you to do something that scares you socially. So obvious ones are ones that involve public speaking. Anything that includes public speaking usually tends to scare people. Giving a presentation at work, agreeing to speak publicly about an organization or a charity that you care about. Um, but it can also be a little more personal and intimate. If you're single, for instance, if you're a single guy, it might be a good a goal to set this year to say, I'm going to talk to everybody that I think might be interesting to date, regardless of how far out of my league they are. I'm going to approach every girl or every guy, whatever your preference is, and I'm going to ask them for a date, regardless of if I think they're just going to laugh in my face. I'm just going to say, I don't care about the rejection. 
I am going to ask people way out of my league on dates this year. I promise you if you do that, two things will happen. First of all, you will have better dates with more interesting people than you've ever had. And second, you will develop a type of social confidence that will transcend just that specific setting, that will be able to pour easily to anything that you're doing. That type of social confidence when you take the biggest kind of social dragons in your life and you slay them, that type of confidence becomes a foundation for anything else that you want to do. It really is so empowering. Number four, mentor someone. Think about somebody who's always asking you for advice, maybe a family member who is going through a tough time, maybe a colleague at work who's struggling to find their footing. Next time they ask you for advice, offer them a more formal arrangement. Say, hey, I would like to actually be really invested in your success this year. What do you think about having regular check-ins? What do you think about really formalizing a mentor-mentee relationship and making sure that I'm as invested in your success this year as you are? That becomes such a powerful way And I think really one of the ultimate social fitness goals, when you start saying that I'm going to put on my list other people's success, not just my success, I think that really is one of the highest degrees of social athleticism is when you define your success by the success of the other people in your life. Number five, just the reverse of this, apprentice for someone. You know, if you're not somebody that has skills that you can offer to other people, Well, the one thing you can do, one thing we know about people just generally is that everybody has something that they do better than you. This is true of every person on planet Earth. And you can be really creative with the type of apprenticeships that you request. Maybe it's asking your mom to saying, hey, mom, I want to learn to cook just like you this year. Can you teach me how to do that? Maybe it's going to your son and saying, hey, I want to learn to play video games this year. Maybe it's going to your friend who is a triathlete and saying, hey, I'd like to learn to run a half marathon this year. Will you train me? The idea of submitting to somebody else's kind of authority in a subject matter and really stepping into their world where they feel most comfortable, where they feel most at ease, where they feel most valued and saying, I want to meet you there. It's such a a connective thing when you do that with somebody. It really accelerates relationships. So find the people in your life that you want to get closer to. Find something that they're better at than you and ask them to teach you to get better at this year. It becomes a really easy way to provide some structure to developing a relationship in 2024. Number six, start to take seriously your loose connections. Remember this from the 17 things we know about social fitness, that we tend to undervalue how important these loose connections like Uber drivers, cashiers, our neighbors, maybe our coworkers that we don't interact with regularly. Taking these relationships seriously is one of the easiest ways that we can start to improve our social fitness. Now, if the idea of saying I'm going to take every loose connection and invest in it this year seems a little overwhelming, maybe take a specific category. Say, I'm going to get to know all my neighbors really well this year, or I'm going to really get to know all of my coworkers, take each one of my coworkers uh, out to lunch one-on-one, you know, and get to know them individually. Something like that, you know, take a small little pocket of loose connections that maybe you're neglecting and start to invest in that in 2024 to make those really a part of your social universe where you are getting and giving the type of social support that we're going to be talking about later in this episode. Number seven, make a habit of striking up conversations with strangers. Again, here it might be easier to just pick one specific context where you do this. Maybe you commit to Strike up a conversation anytime you're in an elevator with somebody or say I'm going to have a conversation with every Uber driver this year or I'm going to say a couple nice words to every cashier I interact with 
this year. Just pick one small thing that you can do that starts to build that habit of interacting more positively and more profoundly with strangers. Number eight, create a communal goal with someone. Uh, This is really easy. So take one of the goals that's already on your list, maybe one of your health or fitness goals or one of your professional or financial goals, and think of somebody who may have a similar goal that's in your life and reach out to them and say, hey, what do you say we do this together this year? You know, I noticed that you're trying to train for a 5K this year. I'm doing the same thing. I noticed that you're trying to 2X your business this year. I want to do the same thing. Why don't we build an accountability group and do this together? And by sharing resources and sharing insights, you're going to have a much better chance of accomplishing your goal. There's all sorts of research that demonstrates this. But then, of course, there's also the added benefit of getting to strengthen and deepen a relationship. So this is just a a huge win-win. Take one of those goals that's already on your list and turn it into a communal goal. You can also be creative with communal goals. Emily and I have a goal this year of we want to rewatch all of Game of Thrones from beginning to end. That's not exactly going to make me, you know, healthier or wealthier or anything like that, but it's a fun communal goal that we can accomplish together and add some structure to the way we spend time together at night. So that can be a communal goal too. It doesn't have to be something that's big and broad or that makes your life better. Just think of a fun way to spend time with someone in your life and turn it into a goal. Just sort of operationalize that as a goal. Number nine. Create a regular check-in routine with the people that you really care about. This is something I did a couple years ago that I've neglected recently, and I really think I need to put this back in my life because it was so powerful. But basically what I would do is I just created a list of what I call keystone relationships. And these were, I think at the time, it was about 37 people on this list, the people that were really important to me that I wanted to make sure I was checking in with regularly. These were, of course, you know, my close family members, my closest friends, people that... Uh, were either former mentors or mentees or people that I respected professionally and wanted to check in with. Just 37 people that I wanted to make sure that I was always a part of their life and they were always a part of mine. And I would categorize them. I had weekly check-ins with people that I never wanted to go more than a week without checking in with. These would be my close family members and closest friends. And then I had a list beyond that, which was one once every two to three weeks. And then I had one you know that would go all the way from three weeks to quarterly. And then I would just schedule these as recurring tasks, my task management software. So, and I'd kind of stagger them so they weren't all coming on one day. But basically what would happen is you open up your task management software for the day and it would have two or three people to check in with that day. And I would just make an effort to do that. And it was really easy. It didn't really feel like it was taking me out of my flow. But the net effect of it was that I just had an awesome social life when I was doing that. You're always getting invited to cool things. You're always, you know, knowing what's going on in people's lives And it was just a really fun way to connect with people throughout the year and something that was very easy. It's something I've let atrophy over the past couple of years. And I think it's something I'm going to really take seriously in 2024. I encourage you to do the same thing. I think you'll get a lot out of it. One of the things you can do too that can help with these regular check-in routines is to add a little structure to it. And you'll notice this is a common theme to what I'm talking about, is that adding structure to this so you don't have to continually think to do it. You don't have to continually create the effort to do something over and over again you know, just it becomes a calendar item on your list. That is one of the easiest ways to make sure that you're continuing to support your social fitness without having to generate a lot of effort to do it. So one of the things, for instance, my mom and I used to do is we would just watch a TV show together and then we'd talk about it once a week. So, you know, we'd have an episode or two that we were watching that week and then we'd just talk about it that week. 
And we'd have these great 30-minute conversations about the episode and art. And of course, intertwined would be, in that would be what was going on in our lives and you know everything else that was important to us. But having some structure that conversation made it a lot easier to just pick up the phone and say, oh my God, did you watch that episode? And we'd start there and then it just naturally evolves into a conversation about everything else. I think that sometimes is one of the most powerful ways to generate more connective fiber with the people in your life is just add some structure to the way that you check in with them. So it doesn't always have to be, you know, you have to generate a new reason to reach out to them every single time. Number 10, this is my favorite on the list. I saved the best for last. Host a regular social event. I really think this is the ultimate social hack. When you host a regular social event, not only will you regularly check in with a group of people, which is very efficient. Instead of having to check in with each of them individually, you just have a space where you're meeting with a bunch of people all at once. You get to do it around whatever your interest is. Since it's your event, you can schedule it around your interest. If you're interested in books, make it a book club. If you're interested in movies, make it a movie club. If you're interested in eating out, make it a club that explores new restaurants in town. Whatever you're interested in, that's what it's going to be about. So you get to invite people into the thing that you really care about. So you're connecting with a group of people, which is really efficient. You're doing it on your terms, which is always the most satisfying, rewarding way to do it. And you get to invite people to be a part of your life where you can contribute the most to them, which is in your area of interest. And then the other thing is you always have things to invite people to. So when you meet new people or friends are coming into town or friends of friends, you always have something to invite them to say, hey, bring them to our next dinner, bring them to our next book club. So when you always have something to invite people to, it really uh, takes away one of the biggest questions you have when you meet somebody new is like, well, what are we going to do together? How are we going to advance this friendship? You always have a place to invite people to. I think this is probably the best thing I ever did for my social life. My good friend Scott Slater started a thing called Big Boy Dinners when we were back in San Diego. And then he briefly moved out of the area. And so I took up the mantle for this. And basically what Big Boy Dinners were is it was just a group of guys, usually eight to 10 guys. There's probably a rotating list of about 20 to 30 that would come. But on any given dinner, it'd be about eight to 10 guys. They were all kind of local entrepreneurs all around the same age group. And we would just get together and have a steak dinner. And there was no real structure to it beyond that. But out of this, all sorts of amazing things emerged, not just great friendships of people who never would have met if it weren't for these dinners, uh, lifelong friendships. There were uh, also great business partnerships that emerged from this, multi-million dollar businesses. I think everybody that went to it says they got a lot out of it. I still years after, it's been years since we did our last one, and I still get people who reach out to me and tell me how much they've gotten out of it. So it's one of those things, I think this was probably the greatest thing I ever did for my social life in San Diego, was just hosting a regular steak dinner. And this is how easy it was. I literally would make a reservation on an app, usually open table, just uh, make a group dinner reservation. And then I would text the group text and tell them where we were meeting. That was the extent of it. That's how much effort it took. And this thing really became the thing that led to more rewarding and more long-term friendships than any other single thing that I did. So host a regular social event this year. I think you will really see it is the highest ROI thing you can do socially. Okay, so now I want to talk about the seven types of social support. And these are seven types of support that we all need in order to feel happy, in order to feel our highest level of emotional well-being. And importantly, these are all types of support that we need to get from other people. We can't meet these needs ourselves. They need to be met by other people. And so understanding each of these 
is going to give us a much better chance of understanding what is and isn't working in our lives and more specifically why it is and isn't working in our lives. I think of this kind of like having a really well-defined palate. I am somebody who does not have a well-defined palate. So if I taste a dish and it tastes a little off, that's pretty much all I can tell you is I can say, I don't know, it tastes a little off. I don't know, it doesn't taste like the last time I had it. But somebody who has a really well-developed palate, somebody who's an excellent chef, who spent a lot of time honing that palate, they can just in one taste, they can go, oh, it has a tablespoon too much of butter, you know, or it needs a little more cumin. You know, they can tell exactly because they have that well-defined palate. And I think of understanding the seven types of social support as kind of developing your social palate, so to speak, you know, that you're going to have a much better sense of why something is or isn't working in your life, why a relationship feels off, uh, why somebody might not be responding to you the way that you want. You're going to be able to understand this at a much more granular level. So we're going to go through the seven types of social support. And as we go through these, I'm going to provide a couple examples to sort of anchor the concept. So you're very clear on what each of these types of support means. But then additionally, I'm going to give you a few ways to identify if you or someone you know might be deficient in this type of support. So we can really start to see, you know, where someone might be low on one of these seven tanks. You know, I kind of think of these as seven tanks that you need to have all running at full in order to feel happy. And if any one of these tanks is running on empty or running close to empty, it's going to feel like everything's off in your life in some background way. And so if you're one of these people that feels like you are connected generally, that you have a lot of people in your life that you love and that love you, but you still have kind of this background nagging sense that something's off, that something's missing, that not all the boxes in your life are being checked. Understanding these seven types of social support is going to give you a very specific idea of exactly what's missing. And we'll start to a little bit in this episode, but I think much more in the next episode, start to address how you can build up each of these deficiencies very strategically without disturbing the types of social support in your life that are working. So let's get into these. The first type of social support is emotional support. And emotional support is the expression of love, empathy, or caring, especially during tough times. One way to think about this is, you know, who is who is your shoulder to lean on during a difficult time? Who's the person you want to talk to at the end of a difficult day who can soothe you? Who's the person that you can vent to without being judged? Uh, who's the person in your life that makes you feel really heard and understood? Now, when people are deficient here, you'll often see them withdraw from social situations. They may be reluctant to discuss personal issues, uh, especially anything that's negative or challenging. At the extreme, you'll, you'll start to see them expressing anxiety and depression because this is such a core type of social support that we need that when people don't feel like they have someone that they can get this emotional support, especially during difficult times, they can get a couple kind words, you know, a nice warm hug, just being there for somebody when they really need it. When you feel like you don't have this, it really becomes a crisis point in your life. It's, it's similar to, to starving or to dehydration uh, on a social landscape. So when people are deficient here, it really can show up as, as extreme emotional distress pretty quickly. You'll, you really will start to see anxiety and depression creep in. Now, at the lower levels, you'll just see people kind of withdraw emotionally. One of the things I can tell you is that for most guys, especially younger guys, there's a really good chance that they are deficient in this type of support. For whatever reason, men just are not uh, validated for 
for providing or for requesting, especially requesting this type of support, usually saying, hey, I'm having a tough time and I really need somebody just to be there for me. That's a terrifying phrase for most guys to say, especially younger guys. So a pretty good guess is that most of the younger guys that you're meeting and maybe most of the guys generally that you're meeting are deficient in this type of support. And there's all sorts of polling and data that supports this. But generally speaking, I think guys have a hard time asking for this type of support. And because of that, they tend to be uh, more deficient in it than women. But of course, anybody can be deficient in this and anyone can be proficient in this. It really is a matter of effort and strategy. The second type of, of social support is what's known as instrumental support. Instrumental support basically refers to tangible, practical assistance in your life. This is you know, if you needed to move a couch, who would you call? If you needed someone to, you know, if your car broke down, you need somebody to, to drive you somewhere, who would you call? Um, you know, who is the type of person that can help you out in a pinch and provide those practical assistance types of things? For most people in a committed relationship, your significant other provides a huge amount of practical assistance, whether it's through helping with the home or helping with the various errands or helping with childcare. Um, and for parents, I think childcare usually is the, the highest degree of need that they have for practical assistance. Now, when people are low on, on this type of instrumental support, it'll show up as them being stressed out and overwhelmed. It'll show up as them feeling like they're not present, scattered, um, because they literally just don't have the help that they need. The, the kind of, it's this idea that I just don't have enough hands to do everything I have to. I don't have enough hours in the day to do everything that I need to do. So when people are low on that type of support, that's kind of how it will manifest. The third type of support is informational support. And this is exactly what it sounds like. It's providing information or knowledge and advice Specifically, I, I would say advice that's tailored to that person's life that's useful and helps them make better decisions. So for a lot of people, this can be a mentor at work. Maybe it would be a parent or it could be a friend who you really respect that can give you good advice. There is a danger, I think, a, a lot now we have a lot of these online gurus who will offer great financial advice and fitness advice. And, and not to detract from that, because I'm sure there are a lot of great gurus out there offering a, a ton of great advice, but I do think that it's not quite the same as having somebody in your life who can offer specific tailored advice to whatever challenges you're dealing with. That type of informational support provides a lot more uh, emotional well-being than just having a, a set of Twitter feeds or Instagram feeds that you know provide you what you think is good information or even a podcast for that instance. You know, However much value you can get from this podcast, you would surely get a lot more from a friend that you could talk to regularly about these types of items. So I think that's something that I really would encourage people to do is in this digitized age where it's really easy to look at some of these types of support and say, hey, there's a digital analog for that. The last one we just talked about, instrumental support. You know, you can get pet sitters, Ubers, groceries delivered, house cleaners, anything you can think of now. There's an app that, you know, can, can help you uh, achieve that outcome. But it doesn't provide the same type of emotional well-being as knowing that you have people in your life that can satisfy that need. So I really want to encourage you to not settle for digital replacements of these in-person social supports. Now, when people are low on informational support, uh, this will usually manifest as them making a lot of poor choices and repeated mistakes, often in the same area of their life. So this is the person who's always dating the wrong person and never understands why it's not working out. This is the person who is always in trouble at work and doesn't quite understand why. 
This is the person who always seems to be having money problems while making terrible choices that should seem predictably terrible to anyone else. Usually what they're lacking in that case is just good role models or good examples that can give them personalized advice so they can understand exactly what they need to do. So that's what happens usually when people are lacking that type of informational support. All right, so the fourth type of social support is what's known as companionship support. And this is basically who spends time with you doing the things that you care about. You know, this is going to be a little different for everyone. For me, it's watching action movies and going to NBA games. For Emily, it's going to fitness classes and going shopping with her friends. You know, for both of us, we both love massages. So we actually have like a weekly couples massage that we do. A massage is the epitome of something that's like an isolated experience. You're just quiet the entire time. But even that is 10 times better when you do it with somebody else. And I think that really underscores what's so powerful about this type of support is just we like doing things with other people. Everything's better when you get to share it with somebody else. When people are deficient in this type of support, it's pretty easy to see. It's people who are isolating and spending a lot of time alone. It'll be people who are pursuing hobbies in complete isolation. This will also manifest a little bit the same way that a deficiency in emotional support will manifest, which is to say that you'll see people start to kind of withdraw, maybe have a hard time talking about their social life. And at the extreme end, you'll start to see anxiety and depression. Because again, this is such a fundamental need. When you don't have somebody to just share your life with, um, that really is kind of a level five crisis uh, on an emotional and social level. So the fifth type of social support is what's known as validation support. This one's a, a little more ethereal, I think, but it's basically who gives you your sense of value, your sense of identity, who makes you feel valued for who you are, who contributes to your sense of identity, who are the friendships and relationships that you're most proud of, what do they say about you, who makes you feel like you really matter. Um, this is, you know, a couple ways that, that a couple examples of what validation support might look like. It might be recognizing the hard work somebody put into a recent accomplishment saying, hey, I can tell how much work you put into that. And I just wanted to say that I really recognize that. It can be recognizing the courage with which somebody is addressing a challenge in their life. Um, it can be recognizing the way people are sacrificing to and extending themselves for other people. It can be recognizing and valuing the unique skills and perspectives that somebody brings to the table or just the unique life experience they have that maybe you don't. But really seeing people and valuing the contribution they bring, the personal contribution, that's the type of support that, that is validation support. Now, when people are low on this, it kind of can manifest as two different extremes, which is interesting. The first thing you'll see is, is somebody being kind of overly critical, fishing for compliments all the time, putting themselves down, you know, having basically demonstrating low self-esteem. But the other thing you can see is the other end of the spectrum where people will try and overcompensate. And so they might be overly braggadocious or overly critical of other people or trying to project some false sense of confidence um, and really putting other people down a lot. The, the idea being here that if I can't feel validated, I can at least make every other person of lower value, which, you know, by extension kind of increases mine. So you'll see this on two different extremes, but anytime somebody is kind of expressing a very low self-esteem or seems to be projecting a false sense of high self-esteem, that's a pretty good indication that they're low on validation support. The sixth type of support is what's known as inspirational or motivational support. And 
This is basically who inspires you and motivates you to be at your best, who inspires and motivates you to keep going through tough times, um, to keep growing and to keep going. Who is the cheerleader in your life? Who is the person who provides the motivation and focus that you need to be at your best addressing new challenges in your life? Now, this can be this can take a lot of different forms. You know, so this could be a mentor in your life who sets a standard of excellence and holds you to it. It could be, you know, somebody who's a cheerleader in your life, maybe a family member or a significant other who just really believes in you and that just fills you with so much confidence and inspiration and motivation. Or it could be somebody that depends on you, maybe a, a child that really motivates you to do the best work that you can do because you want to build a better life for your children. So any of those relationships can provide motivational support. The key thing here is that it's driving you to create productive outcomes in your life. Who is the person that really drives you towards positive action? Now, when people are deficient in this, it will manifest as not having that. Basically, they will look listless or directionless. They might oftentimes complain about not having a direction or express envy for people who do. You might also see them start a lot of projects and then stop them as soon as they become challenging. You know, so it kind of is this bouncing around shiny thing object looking for something to attach to that's going to fill their life with meaning. That's usually what it looks like when people are low on motivational or inspirational support. The seventh and final type of social support is what's known as financial support. This is exactly what it sounds like. It's basically who can provide you financial assistance when you need it. Um, Who's the type of person that you would hit up if you needed to borrow some cash in a pinch? You know, for a lot of people, this is going to be your family members. If you've ever been in a situation where you had a car breakdown and you could call dad and have him pay for it, you know how meaningful this type of support is. If you've ever been in the reverse situation where your car is broken down and you have no idea how you're going to pay for it and no one you can call that can help you, you know how terrifying and isolating it can be to be without this type of social support. When people are deficient in this type of support, it obviously shows up in terms of what they can and can't purchase in their life. But beyond that, you'll also probably see that they're uncomfortable discussing money issues or they might get very uncomfortable when people discuss big purchases in their life or ask them about things they're looking forward to or things that they're going to be doing or ask them about vacations they might be going on. If somebody doesn't have any ability to pay for nice things in the future or to do nice things in the future, those types of conversations are are going to make them very nervous and uncomfortable and, and really Uh, give them a high degree of emotional distress. So if anytime you see people discussing successes or wins or recent purchases or accomplishments regarding money and somebody else seems to get uncomfortable around that, that's probably a pretty good indication that they might not be receiving the same type of financial support that you are. All right, so there we have it, the seven types of social support. As you're going through this week, I'd really like you to try and see if you can refine your palate to pick up on these types of seven types of social support, to pick up on what types of support are being offered to you by the people around you, what types are being requested, what types you might be deficient on, what types other people might be deficient on, where some people in your environment might have the types of support that you need that you haven't thought to get that. Uh, Next week, we're going to really be digging into effective strategies for how to both build up our own deficiencies so we can kind of fill up all seven of our tanks, but then also how to strategically recognize the deficiencies in the people around us and doing everything we can to optimize our interactions with them so we're giving them the types of support that they most need. So I think that's going to be a really fun thing when we can start to make sense of how we can work with this information. But for this week, I think it's going to be enough to just work on developing that palette 
to really get good at tasting all seven flavors of social support. So this is our last podcast of 2023. I'd like to wish everybody a very happy new year. I hope all of your dreams come through in 2024. I'm really looking forward to being a small part of that here on this podcast. So that's all for this week. I'm your host, Casey Wright, and this has been The Social Athlete.